In the ongoing quest to find balance and renewed health, veterans and active military members have often been at the forefront of these conversations. We've recently partnered with Veterans for Healing to share veteran stories of what's worked for them as they've navigated the depth of trauma they experienced in combat. These stories and the information discussed are not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek your trusted physician or other qualified health provider's advice with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. For more information on today's episode, visit htcpod.com slash stories of healing. Oh, I enlisted like two days after 9-11. Okay. So I think that was my main purpose, but, you know, I was also looking for a purpose. I didn't, you know, I had, I didn't really have one. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was looking for direction and um, it seemed like something to, uh, you know, to be a part of and and, and a way to be of service. How old were you? (laughs) Same question. I was 18. 18. Yeah. I went in when I was 19. I broke my thumb right before I was supposed to go into boot camp, so that delayed it a little bit, like three or four months. So I, I ended up going in when I was nineteen. And what was your experience? I worked a lot on the runway on aircraft and 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 you know working on airfields and things like that. It was great, you know, um, the camaraderie of all the people, the friends, the diversity uh, was all really cool. You know, having a being able to make friends like that. And being in a community that is just so vastly diverse, you know, with so many different kinds of people was, was great. You know, it wasn't something that I was like eager to re-enlist for, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was ready to get out for sure, but I, I don't regret it. You know, it was, uh, it was a great experience, made me who I am and helped, helped me, you know, kind of create the, the mission that we have today. Yeah. And how long were you for? Six years. I originally joined as a reservist and I think I went to my duty station maybe three months in a row before we got activated and I was, you know, activated on and off pretty much for the remainder of my, of my enlistment. Mm-hmm. And so did you deploy anywhere? Like where, what was your, where were you stationed? Mostly at Miramar uh, in San Diego and did okay. a lot of work at Camp Pendleton, but also did uh, some time in Yuma, Arizona really helping with the workup uh, for a lot of new pilots to be trained to go out to Iraq. Um, and then right after that, deployed to Afghanistan for 10 months. Wow. And so what was your experience like in Afghanistan? Pretty crazy. I mean, you know, there was a lot going on. I was there in 2004 through 2005. Yeah, it was definitely a lot going on. You know, I was lucky enough to be a part of a, an air wing where I, you know, worked with mostly an attack helicopter squadron um, on, you know, multiple forward operating bases, but, you know, lucky enough to be inside the wire for the majority of the time. But, you know, we still took a lot of mortar rounds constantly, and there was constantly missions going on. So, you know, it was, it was a lot, Uh, definitely created a a vigilance in myself that, uh, you know, was, was really good for, for being in war, but didn't serve me too well when I got back. Yeah. And that's kind of what we wanted to talk about too, was your experience after you were discharged and how, I mean, did you have any PTSD symptoms from your experience in Afghanistan? Yeah, it it was definitely hard for me to get my life back together when I got back. Mm -hmm. You know, the vigilance that I was talking about, the hypervigilance that was just constant, um, while I was over there, it was really, really hard to get rid of. 
What did that look like for you? Can you explain that to me a little bit? Like the hypervigilance, what do you mean by that? There's a lot of just being on guard all the time, feeling that you're always on call, that you always have to be first to notice something or always having to analyze the situation, not really feeling like you can ever let your guard down. You know, when I had kids for the first few years of their lives, I was, well, I guess it was a little bit later because I could speak, but, you know, I, I would constantly tell them that they needed to be aware of their surroundings and, you know, not let me sneak up behind them and things like that. And I, I kind of thought that I was starting to train them to be aware. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I realized through a lot of, you know, work on myself that uh, I was really building that hypervigilance that I had in myself into them. And I realized how unhealthy that was. So I've been trying to turn that around these last couple of years and slow down and uh, not be so, I don't want to say aggressive because I was, I, I was never aggressive, but loud and um, very active and constantly on the move and never being able to slow down. I'm really learning to try and uh, get away from that as much as I can because that contributed to so many factors regarding being able to work, being able to learn new things in life, you know, friendships, relationships. Uh, it doesn't make for uh, the ability to, you know, be in the moment and like listen. You're never listening. You're always uh, one step ahead of that. Mm. You know? Did you come to that realization on your own about how the way you were trying to teach your kids might have been? I think it not was, as like, a- you know. It was, it was with the help of, of a lot of therapy and, and then, you know, diving into plant medicine and being able to experience that and, and a lot of the knowledge that comes from that and, uh, you know, realizing how much baggage I had been carrying around, mm-hmm. you know, and that was one big thing that I had realized I was carrying around was just this, this feeling of always being on call. It brings so, it to the surface for sure, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Did you feel physically and mentally exhausted or was that just your normal so you didn't even realize? Oh, I definitely realized it. And yes, but it, so like the hypervigilance became anxiety, right? And just constant anxiety. And it it actually manifested itself like as a big knot in my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I had that knot for almost 10 years. And I kind of came to the understanding and realization that that was just going to be a part of me from now on. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. And and I just had to live with it. And, and I wasn't very happy. I mean, you know, cannabis opened up a whole new world of like being in a movement and fighting for safe access, mm-hmm. right? Like made me realize that like we need to have the right and the freedom to heal ourselves in any way we deem fit. Mm-hmm. And so I started exploring other medicines and, and modalities, and, and that really allowed me to move into therapy and accepting therapy. And, and I found a therapist that really helped and was able to like walk me through a lot of the traumas that I experienced as a kid. Not that I had a bad childhood at all, um, but a childhood that did build on the anxiety that I brought into the military, and then that just trained me to be even more uh, vigilant about it and, and anxiety ridden. And so I think being in this movement and like knowing that, that like having safe access to whether it be cannabis or any other modality of healing, you know, like that's something to fight for, you know, for sure. Yeah. 
Before you found those, were you being prescribed any medications to try and help you cope after you were discharged? Sure. Yeah. I, I tried a few different, you know, SSRIs and things that helped calm me down. I always personally had like a lot of side effects from them. I always felt the, the side effects pretty hard and the medicines definitely helped maybe some of the direct issues that I was having, but it, I could always feel that it, it blurred my connection to everything else in life. And I just start going, you know, a little bit more numb and, and, and not being able to feel and, you know, like good and the bad. Mm-hmm. How and, long and were you I, on those for? It was just a couple years. Yeah. You know, there was a couple years there where I was having a lot of trouble. Like right when I got back, the first two years of being back was, was really, really hard. Uh, I think my main issue was like finding purpose again. You know, it was like really hard going to Afghanistan and like really believing in the mission. And then like within two months of being over there, like figure out exactly what was going on in our surrounding area, you know, with the intelligence reports, but also like trying to educate myself on the news. Cause I was young then and didn't really know, you know, where to look or what to do. But when I got over there, I kind of, at times I had time to research. And so I kind of lost purpose over there and really didn't understand what we were doing over there. And when, when I came home, well, when I came home, they tried to send me back to Iraq and with, with, with another unit. And I only had like three months left on my contract and they were sending me off for a 10 month deployment. And um, so I fought that pretty hard. I did not want to go back just because, you know, I, I knew that I, breaking me you know i mean now I, I say this you know now i have friends who have been on seven or eight or nine deployments you know it's like my, my it's hard to not compare one. for sure yeah. <laughs> but it's different for everybody yeah yeah i mean it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff it you know it opened my eyes to like a culture that i couldn't believe existed you know communities that i couldn't believe existed uh you know, what made them so shocking yeah just the poverty really you know, the, the, the poverty was, you know, uh, very drastic and like the work environment, the conditions that they had to work in, the conditions that they were willing to work in, the things that they were willing to do. Like they, they didn't, uh, I mean, at times, you know, it, at least when, when I was there in the area that I was in, they were so desperate that like they would be willing to do anything. Like they put mourning of their family deaths to the side to let work happen. And, and it was, you know, that kind of stuff was shocking to me when I saw these people getting paid $2 a day for some of the hardest labor you've ever seen, you know? So just that kind of stuff, getting to know some of the locals and, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I lost my mission too, you know, understanding that they're all just people too. And uh, they're all just trying to survive. And it's just like this system that's just so broken. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's tough. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know much or did know much regarding, you know, the, the actual circumstances and all the intelligence. So I'm just following orders. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm back, you know, I'm, I'm trying to only follow my own orders. Love that. I love that. I love that. Did you feel like as you're researching and as you're seeing the conditions those people are in, did you feel comfortable talking with that to the guys you're out there with? Or is that something you just kind of keep to yourself? I think people's real, their, their, their real morals and their real personalities and the, the, the people who they really are come out no matter what, when you spend enough time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's chain of command and there's rank structure and, and there's things you don't say, 
but you know, you're, you're in a really tight knit community over there. So yeah, you all kind of talk and uh, we all have our own understandings. And uh, again, going back to the diversity of the mm-hmm. military, you know, I've said it a, a million times. Like I, I honestly believe that the military could be like the most diverse population in the world. I mean, um, they're not even all, a lot of American military aren't even American citizens yet. So there was just such a really cool diversity of people and thoughts and where they came from and their educations and different sides of the country. And that was a big learning uh, opportunity as well, being able to you know learn all this kind of stuff, you know, especially being a young kid, mostly from California, who really didn't, you know, get to travel and explore much. It was uh it was really cool, but yet we all were able to do the mission. Um, no matter what orders we were following, like the mission was like to stay alive and to keep each other alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So it all came down to that one fundamental thing. So what we were all learning over there was very powerful. And we definitely all talked about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you said when you came back, you, you had kind of lost your purpose. And then did the military prescribe that medicine when you were discharge just to get you to kind of acclimate back to real life or was that something that you went and and sought out because you didn't know what to do the VA itself the 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 benefits that you get when you get out you have to seek them out individually you don't go sit down and say all right this is all no you have to go and say, can I qualify for this? Do I qualify? Can I get a VA card? Can I come into the system? Can I get a doctor? Nobody comes to you and says, now that you're out, the, here's your here's your VA card. Nobody does that. Uh, it's, it's super unfortunate. They say, yeah. bye, here's your paperwork. And you're, you're begging to get that signature and run as fast as you can anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had to go seek that out and ask for help and beg for help. And months went by and I got called multiple times and, oh, finally they got you a therapist. And by this time, you know, you've already spun out of control. And, and this is how it goes for, for most of us. But we know how to fight. And what I tell people is you just got to fight for your own health care. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, you probably have to do it in, in, in any other healthcare system too. But out there, you're, you're paying for it. So you're definitely going to get it. Yeah. Um, so with the VA, it's definitely a fight. But you know, if you're willing to put in the time and the effort and the energy, you know, there's definitely a lot of benefits that that we can qualify for. So it's good. But that's infuriating that there's not even like a oh a notebook or like a a textbook that they give you. Like here's your discharge, you know, journal. Like here's and everything. There probably you- there probably is, but I didn't get one. I don't know anybody who did. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. And I think that would be really hard to navigate too. So, so you get back, I mean, what was kind of the first thing that you did? Where did you even start to kind of pick your, your, yourself back up to live amongst, you know, everybody else again? I went to personal doctors at first. I, I didn't want to go back to the military. I didn't want to go to the VA. I thought, you know, I was going to be a bunch of military people and I didn't want anything to do with that anymore. I was willing to completely walk away from all my benefits. Wow. And I did for a couple of years. And I went to my wife's family's friends, doctors and stuff like that and got a lot of help and kind of, you know, still kind of went through the racket and had to pay for stuff. And then, and it was during that time that I, I, I couldn't find work and I was having problems with the work that I did have with the leadership that was there. Cause I just came from like some of the best leadership you've ever seen in your life, the, the best right. leadership that exists to some of the worst at working at a restaurant or 
whatever. You couldn't, I couldn't even find work. I figured when I got back as a combat veteran, I'd be able to get any job I applied for. And I was for months and I, I, you know, I couldn't really find anything. Plus I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't know what to do. I was going to all these doctors trying to figure out myself because I was just like depressed all the time. And for like and the first time, you had young kids life, and a wife to like try yeah, to like I had, take care of too. That's I had a, a wife, but I didn't have kids at the time. Oh, okay, thank goodness. Okay. And my wife was super strong and super awesome. So she was definitely able to help me get through a lot of this. And it was during all this time that one of my buddies said, you know, I was in Orange County at the time and I spent most of my life up here in Santa Cruz, moved down to Orange County just for the last few years of high school, most of my high school. Mm-hmm. And and then joined the Marine Corps right after that. Got out. Most of my family was still there in Huntington Beach. So we, I went and lived there with my wife for a while. And one of my friends is like, I'm moving up to Santa Cruz. I know you, you know, you were from there. Like you should come check it out. So I came up here, read that cannabis had been decriminalized up here and that it was on the last priority of the local sheriff's department. And so I convinced my wife to pack up and move up here. And, you know, we didn't have too much going on. I mean, we had all of our family down there, but it's a five, six hour drive north. It's not, you know, too bad. And it's so beautiful up here that when we came and visited, it was life changing because it's so calm and mellow and there's forests and open space and quiet space out here. And it was a place I felt like I could take a deep breath. We ended up moving up here and, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity of like an old friend kind of teaching me how to, how to grow a couple plants and pretty much taught me all the wrong ways to do it, you know? So <laughs> I, I, I found out that like, if I was going to continue to grow cannabis, then like, I, I really needed to learn. So, you know, I had, a, you know, a couple lights in like a little basement when we first moved out here, tried to learn, failed multiple times with the help of multiple friends almost lost everything. You know, I uh, was in debt. I had my car repossessed. I couldn't pay my rent. I ended up having to move into my friend's house with my two cats and my wife. And he used some of my grow equipment and his grow equipment. We got one run in and we're able to save up enough money for us both to go our own ways. And from there, we just like, I, I slowly, my wife and I, we just slowly, you know, worked it to the point where we were able to like think about really making a business out of it. And, and at that point, I had met my business partner, Jason. He was another veteran who was growing locally. And we, we had some old Vietnam friends that you know were around and we would give them excess weed that we had just to get them by because we knew they were spending too much on it on a monthly basis. And a lot of these guys were using it in lieu of some of their pharmaceuticals, you know? So, you know, we felt that it was... It was good for them. We had plenty of it back then. You know, the price was good and, and it was easy to grow. And so it was, uh, it, it was just cool to be able to give back to a couple of friends. And that's kind of how it all started. It just kind of started spawning from there. And we, we, um, we started growing and giving a portion of everything that we grew back in 2016 when, you know, and we, we developed a not-for-profit down here, a mutual benefit not-for-profit and uh, created a collective of patients and started cultivating for for all of them. And then in 2016, Proposition 215 started coming around and it was going to go legal. And we were only cultivators and obviously we were black market cultivators. There was no legal cultivating at the time, but yet there were still dispensaries Mm. selling it somewhat legally. Um, That's so confusing. (laughs) 
Right? It was very confusing. It was all yeah. under the guise of like Proposition 215 and medical cannabis. And, and it was working fairly well, except for the majority of the cultivators who were having to do it illegally, which we were one of them. And, you know, and at that time we did, we, I had a, my first kid and my business partner had his kid and, you know, we, we had little kids and we, we were sick of looking over our shoulder and, and expecting the sheriff to kick in the door at any, any moment. That's what I was wondering, like hearing that and knowing that you were hypervigilant and that was your main issue that you were dealing with. Like how did you have trouble during that period of time, keeping sure. your anxiety under control? Yeah. And, and during that time, like I used it to go to school and get a degree and work a regular job at a restaurant to, so that everybody can see that I'm a normal person and work right. a real job. And that's how I pay my bills. You know? I can function uh, with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to constantly yeah. break it down. But yeah. yeah. And yeah. then have the, you know, the grow here. And then, then my business partner, Jason and I got a commercial unit and we started cultivating there. And uh, that's where we developed this you know, the Santa Cruz Veterans Alliance. Mm -hmm. And um, at one point, we decided to start holding group meetings at one of the local dispensaries who opened up a space for us. And we figured, you know, this might gain some traction. We're sure there's other veterans out there that can use some of this. We have plenty of free cannabis that we can give out. So we just started bagging it up and giving it out at our little group meetings at this one dispensary. And within three or four meetings, we had so many veterans that they didn't necessarily have space for us anymore. We had maybe maybe 20 or 30 veterans and they were coming down the stairs. And so we convinced our local VFW, which is the Veterans of Foreign Wars down here, to open up uh, the VFW for us and allow us to start hosting groups there and dispensing medical cannabis. They didn't really like the idea of us dispensing medical cannabis, but we kind of proved to them that it was a needed service and that we would take any responsibility and they allowed us to move forward. And we, I ended up going to a meeting with the local sheriff and letting him know what we were doing. He didn't wow. have a problem because again, we had proposition 215. We had doctor's recommendations for all of our patients and uh, we started getting some publicity. The VFW ended up asking us to leave because we kind of got too much publicity and you know they were <laughs> in, included in that. And we ended up getting another spot down in at the Veterans Hall that the county built. The the county owns a building that they have the Veterans Hall in. They opened up that for us to start doing it, but we couldn't dispense any medicine there. So we started lobbying for them to allow us to open a dispensary um, because under the new legalization law, you can't give out anything or sell anything as a cultivator. It has to go to a distributor and then a distributor has to give it to a retailer and then that retailer has to sell it or give it over the counter somehow. So much red tape. There was a lot. Yes, definitely a lot. And at first we didn't even have the ability to give it out for free over the counter. We did, but we still had to pay taxes on it. And so just recently, a couple of years ago, we were able to pass SB 34, which is the Compassionate Use Act. And now we're able to actually give away free canvas without having to pay taxes on it. So were you giving it away? And paying taxes on it in the beginning? Yes, for a long time. Wow. And they actually came back to us once we got our legal license through the state. The state contacted us and said, you know, because we had to prove to them that we were cultivating prior to legalization to get our license. We pretty much had to prove to them that we were doing it illegally. Yeah, that's terrifying. Isn't that crazy? It is very terrifying. <laughs> what? Very crazy. Terrifying. That's yeah. enough for some people to probably throw in the just, yeah, everybody Sorry. would have just jumped in. 
mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, yeah. So it was good. I mean, I was, I was ecstatic about that because I could prove that we were doing it. We were paying our regular income tax for a long time prior to that as well. So even though we were selling on the black market, we were still paying our taxes mm-hmm. um, to the federal government. Yeah, once the state got involved, they realized that we were giving away free free cannabis, and they made us pay back taxes on that, on a lot of it. Yeah. Um, we we ended up getting that back because of SB thirty four, but we never stopped giving it out for free. We continued. We've we've never stopped. We we're ten years, a little over ten years now, um, and every month we've given out free cannabis to our veterans without without stop. Even though there was a big transition point there, where a lot of compassionate programs did stop. Because mm-hmm. of the regulations, there wasn't necessarily a, a legal route to do so. So, and then that's kind of where it all started. And now um, we have a license for cultivation, we have a license for distribution, and a license for retail. Again, we needed to be vertically integrated so that we could pass free product through each license. Mm-hmm. It's hard to convince other people to do that, train their people to do that. It costs money to do it. We really, really didn't want to have to go out and convince other companies to do this nonprofit work for us. I don't necessarily want to have to convince anybody to do anything. Uh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> if I can do it myself, hopefully, uh, you know, we can just continue to do it this way. Yeah, I respect yeah. that. <laughs> How did you discover that cannabis was medicinal for you and what you were dealing with? I'd always had a pretty close relationship with cannabis, you know, since my young teen years. I was very close to it through high school and, you know, briefly afterwards, and then obviously had to take a big hiatus because of the military. But, you know, whenever I got a chance to, I I would definitely partake. And then getting out, it was, I had safe access to it, you know, because I had friends and family who who had access to it. So I knew it was going to help me when I got it. It always helped me with my anxiety, you know, and, and, Again, I had anxiety going into the military, but it was just, it, it, it was used as a tool to like help with the aggression and with the security, uh, security aspect of being on guard and on call and things like that. So uh, like the, like the knot that had manifested, I just took it on as a part of myself and just manifested it even more. And it helped, it did help. I mean, it, it helped me get a lot done in life. You know, cause I was scared not to with, with school and, and developing businesses and, you know, doing the things that I, the passions that I have, like I, I am vigilant about pursuing them, but it can definitely go in a dark direction. And so cannabis has always helped me kind of calm that and help bring me back into the moment. So that's why I knew I had to continue to pursue it because when I was in Huntington beach or, you know, orange County, I had access to it, but it was very expensive and still illegal. And I, and I still did have anxiety driving around and, and, and having it on me and, and, you know, knowing that I needed it as my medicine, but knowing that it was super frowned upon, which was, which was such a main reason why I came back up here to Santa Cruz, because it was on the last priority. Nobody cares about it up here and I don't have to worry about it as much. And then I can also cultivate it, not have to spend money on it, and maybe be able to sell some of it and be able to pay some bills with it. And from that, I developed a passion for just growing plants. And horticultural therapy became like a huge part of what we did, what we did as well. And we would bring veterans into our garden that were having you know, PTSD issues and vi- hypervigilance issues and anxiety and stress and stuff and bringing them into the, the very quiet, calm environment of like working with the plants and 
They don't talk back. They don't yell at you. Um, <laughs> it's a meditation to work with plants and, and it is a therapy. So that was huge for me in my recovery and the thousands of hours that I would spend in my own gardens, like aided in my recovery so much that it was something that I wanted to share with others. And my business partner, Jason, same thing. Like I, you know, he had the passion for cannabis because it helped him and his anxiety and because of the, the horticultural part as well and being a farmer and he was from Alabama you know, so he comes from like the, the farming culture. And so wanting to grow and create a good product and a good medicine for people is, I'm super honored and blessed to be able to continue to to do it now, 13 years later. Yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. Wow. Yeah, I can see all the plants behind you. I was going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a plant lady in the last year. So I, I totally am on board with the horticulture. Yeah. Love it's it. Good. It's Love good it. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's been one of the biggest challenges that you've you've come up against with creating the Santa Cruz Veterans Alliance? Mm-hmm. Probably learning all the other aspects of business development and mm-hmm. political yeah. advancement besides just growing cannabis. Growing cannabis yeah. has become what I love to do and all I want to do, <laughs> but that's like barely what I get to do. You yeah. know, a lot of it is political stuff and ensuring, you know, following different laws and jurisdictions and seeing what's going to be allowed here or there. And because right now I have a, a cultivation permit for 5,000 square feet. I have a, a, you know, my own small little distribution hub that I pretty much only distribute my own product and my friend's product, the Beard Bros. Oh yeah. You guys know the Beard Bros? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, totally. So we work with them quite a bit. And then we have a small little retail outlet right now, hopefully going to open up another small little retail outlet. And we're a very, very small company. So with all of this money flooding into the industry, celebrity money and, and corporate money, and it's getting so big in corporate that we're just trying to stay relevant mm-hmm. and stay in the industry without getting swallowed up really quickly. Like no matter what, I, I don't want to see this mission die. Right. You know, I don't want to be bought out. I don't want to be drowned out. It's somewhat of a scary feeling because there is so much money. Like, I feel that we are doing really good. Like I was telling you earlier, we don't market and advertise mm-hmm. because I feel like we are doing really good. Like people do know about us and they do mm-hmm. support us. And like, I am proud of the compassionate aspect of what we've built because it is it's somewhat fundamental. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the compassion I mean, is there because you put it in there from the beginning, you know, and that's something that I think would set you apart from other people. That's what I'm hoping. Now it seems like to have a compassion program is like standard in the industry. Like you won't even be, really? you know, accepted in the California cannabis industry if you don't have a compassion aspect, which is great. But I just hope to not to be drowned out. So, which, you know, it's not a big deal. I don't think I will be. I just got to keep moving. Yeah, and, you can keep, keep moving to Texas. <laughs> There's lots of room to grow here. <laughs> I love Texas. One I day. Came, I just came from there yesterday, actually. Really? Dallas. Yeah. That's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I know. There's a lot. I, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on Texas. My, my wife's family is from Texas. I have family in Texas. I would love to see something develop over there, but... Still waiting over there. Not, yeah. I'm holding my breath too much. Yeah. I know. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw on your website that you guys have three like main strains that you sell. 
yeah, we, we, we've been messing with some new strains, but for the most part, yeah, we have a strain, the kosher kush. It was bred by DNA genetics a long time ago. And uh, over a decade, my partner Jason and I pheno hunted a couple hundred of those seeds because him and I both knew that like the the Kushes and the OGs like were they they had something that really 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 helped both of us regarding our anxiety and regarding like being able to be in the moment and focus on something. For me at the time, it was it was mostly school and getting projects done while also having all of these other things on the side. And and now kind of you know knowing a little bit more about the science, the mercine is really what helps regarding for me personally the the high mercine strains have been just so beneficial in, in helping me like calm and and come back to myself but so the kosher kush has been our main staple it's what we donate out to the majority of the veterans most of the time because it has the most calming effect a lot of these that's you know uh, they, they're very vigilant and they're very hyper vigilant a lot of times they won't stop or slow down so the, the kosher kush is really good to help them slow down a little bit we have the super sour diesel which is the complete opposite of that um and a lot of times most of the time because of medicine but they can't get off the couch and get their life going so that's another strain that kind of helps in the opposite direction um and then we have a strain called the combat cookies which for me has really helped me like combat a lot of my symptoms in in the day-to-day for um it's a hybrid so i'm able to kind of still function during the day Mm-hmm. So those are the three that we've grown for a long time, eight to 10 years. And so it most, mostly now it's mostly the super sour diesel and the kosher, just trying to leave it the two staples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For those um, that are going to listen to this later on that have no cannabis knowledge whatsoever, what makes it medical grade? I mean, I guess it really depends. <laughs> it has to be clean. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. First off, I mean, that's, you know, the, the black market still thrives. Really? But what I tell people who are still buying off the black market, it's fine, you know, but you just can't be certain that it's clean of pesticides or molds and mildews or micro contaminants, you know, you can't be certain. Uh, at least with the California testing uh, regulations, I can be certain, you know, it is pretty locked down and very intricate regarding ensuring that all California cannabis, whether, whether it be recreation or medical is super clean. And I mean, first and foremost, that would be it for, for me. And then, and then everything from there is how sedated do you want to get some people none. So then you go to the CBD aspect of it, but then there's also like the terpene profiles, which is the flavors, which are found to have a lot of medicinal effects right. and we've known that for years with essential oils and things like that right and then who knows what else i mean there's chlorophyll in there there's plant oils there's there's a whole aspect of of things in the cannabis flower itself that when used as a whole have a really good medicinal effect in my opinion mm-hmm. things like full spectrum oils like the RSO oil, the, the beer bros make a really good one. And then the full flower. And then there's also like extracts that are made from whole extracted flour. But then there's this whole new phase of concentrates that are being extracted and they're extracting out pretty much just pure THC, which does have its own medicinal value. 
And I think scientists and pharmacologists, they really want to pull out these individual things and say that these are the ones that help. But I mean, in my opinion, and, and, and using and experimenting with all the different isolates of mm-hmm. these different compounds and using the full, the full spectrum flower or the full spectrum oil, there, there's a huge difference to it. So I think there's a huge medical benefit in using all of it, not just the THC or not just the CBD, but there's still so much research to be done regarding that. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same as like, you know, we have doctors for your gallbladder and we have doctors for your heart, but it's like your body works as one whole functioning system. It's kind of seems like that's repeated, you know, even in plants and just like if you can get the full thing, it's just so funny how we always want to piece things apart and make it more intense in one specific area and, and forget about the rest, you know? Yeah. And to, to think also there's, our body has cannabinoidal receptors. We actually mm-hmm. have receptors that pull and grab and are meant only for cannabinoids, which is fascinating. Yeah. And that blows I, me away. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I doubt that nature would, uh, you know, give us those. And expect us to isolate out a specific cannabinoid out of a flower to to receive it, mm-hmm. right? Because there's multiple cannabinoids in a flower, and most of the time they're they're trace amounts, and then the big one is CBD or THC. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there's multiple different types of cannabinoids. Some of them that we haven't even heard of mm-hmm. or care about because we don't even know what they do, or they're such minuscule numbers or amounts. So, you know, I, we definitely need to take all that into consideration as well. But it's hard to say what's what's considered medical. I mean, it's, it depends on what people need and mm-hmm. want to, to, to be themselves. Yeah, you know? and what strain relates to them, I guess, the, the best. Yeah, and I think with cannabis, it's, it's, it is about, a lot of times it is about relieving pain or helping sleep or inducing appetite. Or, or negating different effects from different things, right? Or helping with migraines, or the list goes on. But, you know, there's many day-to-day users as well. And for that, a lot of times, it's helping reduce anxiety or stress or, or helping us get back to a baseline of being able to, like I said, like kind of be ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not feel, again, like always on call or always having to perform, I think for me specifically cannabis like just allows me to be myself and not you know not always concerned or or anxious about what others are thinking or what I should or shouldn't be doing it just kind of just brings me back to myself. Yeah, it turns down the volume on that other voice, you know, yeah, that can kind of sure. that, can, that can change the dynamic of how your day-to-days live for sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Did you even know that that wasn't you because I feel like for you know if you get used to feeling and behaving a certain way for so long you can be easily convinced that you know this is this is me this is who I am I'm an anxious person this is just how I act when was the first time you realized it that's not you probably the first time I smoked cannabis really I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, th- that's obviously a battle that we all have to go through with ourselves, and like where are, where we have to draw the line with ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a super personal thing because do I feel that sometimes I probably use too much? Probably. Yeah. Um, we talk about it- that all the time. We're yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what you do. It's that, that, that stigma around it, but it's like, pick your battles almost. Yeah. And, and for me, 
if it is hindering something in my life, mm-hmm. then, yeah. then I know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I'm able to get my work done, enjoy my family, love my life, then I personally have come to the understanding and, and conclusion for myself that it's okay for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay for me to use every day. And is it probably the most healthy thing I could do for myself? Probably not. But I've accepted that for now that, you know, that's just something that, that really helps me be a little bit happier right now. And that's fine with me and until it starts hindering things in my life. You know, I'll take another look at it and it's not for everybody to, you know, right. use yeah. every day or, or, or every week or so often, you know, I mean, some people can't. Yeah. How do you help navigate that when you're helping veterans at either your community groups or when you're giving them medication? Like, do you talk with them about that? How this might not be for you or like, how, how does your group help the veterans understand that? For sure. It's definitely not for everybody. And, and what I say to a lot of them that don't use it, but still come to our groups and support is like, this is the one thing that I can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, this helps me also create a community and create camaraderie. And thank you for being here. Like, this is the one thing I can do. And we do a lot more too. You know, I I love doing what I can. Could I do more, of course? And and I work with a bunch of veterans that run nonprofit organizations that do so much. You know, I'm lucky enough to have a for-profit company that has a nonprofit sector. I'm able to give a little bit away and, and do my work. And and continue on. And I'm glad that I've had longevity in this. And I, and I, and I hope that that will continue. And I think, and I, I know that it will, could I do more? Yes. But right now, like with my life, I think, you know, I have a young family trying to spend as much time with them as possible, you know, yeah, but there's no rush. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, with the group and stuff, creating other camaraderie groups, you know, I really try to like get people to follow their passions, like surf groups, like there's there's definitely a bunch of groups out here who have gotten together and surf all the time and hiking groups and hunting groups and things like that. So just trying to create more camaraderie based activities uh, would be something that I would really like to do more of mm-hmm. and and do some right now. I mean, COVID has really been a big hit. We used to yeah. get together once a month, talk about different things going on in the community. We used to do beach cleanups um, and things like that. But yeah, this last year has been has been quite a hit. But probably needed more than anything, (laughs) you know, brought brought a bunch of realization to what people need, I think, you know, to the forefront and it's hard for a lot of people too, but hopefully down are you guys right now? Because we're just now starting to open back up quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Like just these last couple of weeks have, have opened up quite a bit, but I don't really know, to be honest with you. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to radio. Yeah. I try to live in my own little happy bubble here and yeah. not listen to all the you craziness that's going on. <laughs> that's all on you can here. control. Yeah. Why, why bombard yourself with stuff that you can't do anything about? Right. And that's kind of why also we haven't taken the Santa Cruz Veterans Alliance out of Santa Cruz very far. We have small, we have small little um, donation centers in the Bay and, and every once in a while down in Monterey. I think we've done it in LA once, but I try to keep it close because you know, that's what I can control. Like what mm-hmm. you were saying, you know, and, and I know sometimes when things go national, they, they get out of control and I've really tried to keep it small and really just try to vocalize the mission, which is mm-hmm. safe access, creating safe access. I can't create safe access for everybody, Fabian Henry up there with Gaff House and doing his things with the, the veterans for healing. He 
showed us the way back in 2013, 2014. They came up here and introduced us to some doctors from the VA that were looking to do research with them. We were lucky enough to develop a research program with the Palo Alto VA and um, Harvard University. And they came out and did a study with about 100 of our veterans and all of the medicine that we were giving them. And they ended up publishing a peer-reviewed study about two year, two and a half years ago that had some really good benefits regarding veterans having safe access to medical-grade cannabis will relieve their their intake of pharmaceuticals, their longevity, their happiness, their ability to sleep. We know we've all, all these different veteran groups have really tried to help each other and feed off of each other because it's one team, one fight. We're really just trying to like stay happy. You know, we've seen too many of our friends commit suicide or go down rabbit holes and, you know, in the bottle or the pills or it's been a hard road for a lot of our brothers and sisters that have come back from war, you know, so whatever we can do to just help with like the safe access to whether it be cannabis or mushrooms or any other kind of plant medicine or mushroom medicine out there that needs more attention. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need to pay attention when, when people are saying that this thing has helped heal me. And I have heard that so many times with cannabis, it has brought us into a, uh, an opening of a, a whole new uh, ability to like heal ourselves, you know, and now we're seeing it with other plant medicines and like this safe access to anything that's going to help heal me. Like, how dare you say I can't use that? Yeah. You right. Know? So I hope yeah. we just, we all keep pushing and, and, and a lot of these veteran groups see that, that this is, this is helping. I, I mean, I know, you know, down here, I think it was the Navy SEAL foundation donated a bunch of money to maps last year or or a couple years ago which was you know huge having an organization like that now supporting research because they know like one of their guys comes back and says this shit healed me from the shit that we went through back then mm-hmm. they're gonna listen yeah i was gonna say like who wouldn't say okay we need to look at this right yeah. like yeah. that's why it's so frustrating in, in in the different states you know that it's not just across the board here that not everybody does have the safe access so what are some ways that, I mean, obviously like voting and getting involved that way, but what are, what are some ways that you would encourage people to kind of help out this mission? I, I mean, people need to educate themselves. You know, I, I, I feel very lucky because I live in Santa Cruz. I live in California. Everybody here agrees with me. For the most part, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, it's hard to find people who don't agree with me here. Um, that's so true. So the ones who don't, though, I just say, just listen, you know, listen to the testimonials of the people who have actually been through the traumas and then mm-hmm. come out the other side from healing and said, like, this path has healed me. Like, we all say, like, oh, America's for freedom and this and that. And but yet we don't even have the freedom to heal ourselves and it doesn't make any sense. So we just all need to keep educating ourselves. And for some of us, that means educating ourselves in the in the powers of these medicines. Yeah. You know, what can these actually do? We can read the books and we can listen to the testimonials, but sometimes we need to just dive deep and, mm-hmm. and find out what people are actually talking about. And and there's there's a, a big movement of people who are starting to dive deep and figure these things out. And um, I'm just trying to swim along. Yeah, yeah. it's so exciting. <laughs> so 
Do you have any experience with psilocybin or psychedelic therapy at all? Sure, as much as I can get my hands on. Yeah, yeah. Been, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I've been definitely going down the path for the last few years and, and trying to understand it. And um, yeah, I think I've come a long way in these last four or five years of, of uh, you know, really, really trying to dive deep and, and, and understand it. And, and now we're, you know, trying to show other veterans that there's means to healing. They might not be so easy, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It, they say it's a warrior's journey and they're not lying. You know, mm-hmm. A lot of times when you have trauma and you use these, these medicines, it's uh, it, it can be scary, but you come out the other side, dropping all of the fear and it's yeah. so worth it. You know, like I was saying earlier, always feeling like I was on call and on guard and, you know, through some of these plant medicine journeys, I've like come out the other side, realizing that I am no longer on call. And being able to actually realize that in the depths of myself and being able to like realize that I've been walking around with a backpack full of boulders. And then like last night I was able to take it off and it's like such a freeing feeling. It's like, it's, it, it's such a transcendent feeling. And, and so hopefully just talking about it, giving testimony and letting people know that there's options and ways out there to heal yourself. Like I, I hope people start educating themselves and, moving in that path of healing because it's so much easier to not heal yourself sometimes Absolutely. than it is to go down that path for sure very yeah. convenient yeah. Yeah. We, we live in a community and in, a, in an environment of convenience right that's yeah. what that's what the western world is all about convenience and comfort and the the obstacle sometimes is actually the way mm-hmm. what is your pull i guess like on your heart and your soul to just make you want to be healed and to get better because that does take a, a type of person like you said to not go towards the convenience to really put in the work do you attribute that force to anything yeah it takes a real strong person to like go through that and it's a lot of work it's a lot of work i mean not just plant medicine but therapy in general sitting on a couch and 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 trying to figure out what's holding you back that's not easy that's very very hard and it takes a lot of trust and for me it took you know, half a dozen therapists before I found one that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Like she showed me that I could figure this out, but it was a lot of work finding her years, yeah. years of trying to find her, you know, and I had given up at one point and dove into plant medicine and spent, you know, 40 hours, you know, over a couple of years crying into pillows on my couch, you know, and like realizing all of these things that were holding me back. And then and then realizing that like I needed help integrating that and finding somebody to help me with all of these things that I had, was trying to figure out. I'm just, I'm so blessed to be able to find this lady and, and for her to accept the therapies that I was using, you know, mm-hmm. was like, man. I, I, uh, were there some so therapists lucky. that were not accepting of that? Or did you even feel like you could share that with them? Well, you know, most of the therapists that I w- had seen were prior to me starting to experiment with plant medicine and all of my experiments were by myself initially uh, for the most part in the forest or on my couch. And it was nice being able to bring somebody else into that world. Not, not that my wife wasn't in that, but she definitely was my protector during that time, but she she wasn't, she wasn't diving deep with me. She didn't need to. So 
it's not easy. It's a warrior's journey. So it was hard, but it was so worth it. And uh, I'm still going through it. I still go through the roller coaster. And I think at times that kind of helps when it comes to talking to other people about it, because like, it doesn't heal you fully. Nothing does. Right. Like being okay with the feelings that come and like making friends with that, making friends with your own darkness is so huge. That is healing in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Was it talk therapy that you were going to see this woman for? It was talk therapy. And then the thing that was so profound for me was um, EMDR. So it's like a light therapy. And uh, man, it was so profound for me. And she told me it it helps like, you know, like five or six out of 10 people it helps with. And some people don't really see much of an effect from it. But for me, it was like, man, every time she would put that on, I would just be crying and uh you know most of the time i'd come in there not knowing what i was gonna oh today i'm fine i, I had nothing to talk about i'm good you know i don't even I know what canceled. i'm talking to her about yeah. <laughs> and then i get there and she's like stare at the light and then oh. <laughs> don't look into the light <laughs> yeah. she did a lot of really cool hypnosis and stuff like that too and she was able to give me you know in in, in psychedelics you have these visions that are like dreams but like burned into your memory and she was able to do that exact same thing with with hypnosis and with the emdr and like it was beautiful and still is i still have these memories of these dreams and these these exercises that she put me through that were just uh free so freeing I'm yeah. so happy to hear that you did that because we just interviewed a, a hypnotist last week. Yeah. So um, the episode aired today and we learned a lot. And, and it's funny how the different therapies really go back down to just really treating that root, that root cause of what's making your trauma kind of come out in, in different ways or where it started. I know you said you liked EMDR. The hypnosis, what, what did that look like for you? How did you sink into hypnosis, I guess? Well, she she would give me a very like, calming um visualization you know to sink into at first and then she would bring up say like for example the knot in my stomach that I was telling you about she would say okay I want you to visualize that and you know uh, well at first she would say like say she would she would call me by bringing me through this hypnosis and then it would be my younger self that she would say be like walking through a door and then walking through another door and then walking through another door. And then I would end up at say the house that I grew up in. Mm. And then I'd be sitting there and she had me visual visualize this knot. And it was like this crystal ball that I was holding, but it was like this metallic black liquid that was like swirling on the inside. And she said, bring in your older self and you guys need to figure out what to do with that Whoa. and and what you're going to do with it. And so immediately I, like as my younger self, then I was like, oh, let's go get a baseball bat. You know, we need to destroy this thing right now. <laughs> yeah. like, like, get it. <laughs> and my older self immediately without me even thinking said, no, we need to love it. And like from that point forward, everything had changed for me. And I, I realized that like, I can't, I can't like get rid of, my anxiety. I can't get rid of my past. Can't get rid of the things that I think aren't good or could be better, right? I have to accept myself and and all of its totality, including the traumas of my past and the stuff I don't like about myself. 
So that's just been so huge for me. Like I always go back to that. It's still with you. You just have to love that part of you, even though you think it's darkness and evil. Like you, you, that is you. That's the yin yang, right? Like that is the duality of this world. Like we just have to have the good with the bad. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we wouldn't, then we wouldn't live in a dual world. And, and mm-hmm. unfortunately we do. Yeah. So did the knot go away or is it just more manageable now? It actually went away, which is crazy because yeah. it was literally over 10 years that I had it. and. I had talked about it and told, you know, my wife and other therapists and it was just some, no, nothing ever worked. And uh, I don't know if it was just that hypnosis session, but probably over, you know, not more than a few weeks or a month or so, she was able to get rid of that, which was like, wow, so cool. And we made it to a point where I, I, I don't really see her anymore, you know, a couple times a year, maybe I'll go. But for the most part, I, I, I like I don't necessarily need to. Like she was really able to help me pull up all that. And I continue to use the help of plant medicine to help me purge my darkness every once in a while. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like you said, it's not going to go away. But now, you know, like you can sit with it. You can you can kind of ride that wave of discomfort and and come out on the other side and know that it was just like you needed to process something or some you know I, I think that that's really really beautiful mm-hmm. that has to make you a better partner to your wife a better dad a better son a better friend how has cannabis helped in those areas in those relationships yeah I mean well with cannabis I mean you know before on pharmaceuticals for my anxiety again like I I, I had trouble feeling and I had trouble like connecting Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously my wife didn't like that. And I didn't have kids at the time. So thank God. And didn't really care much to spend much time with my family and was so worried about finances and image and things like that, that <laughs> you were inward. You couldn't be around other people. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. So again, well, one canvas helped me realize that I don't necessarily need those pharmaceuticals anymore, but specifically the ones that were hindering me. I mean, there's, there's definitely a place for pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think a lot of it can be reduced or, or replaced with cannabis. And so it helped me do that. It helped me move away from that and be more in the moment and connect more. And it continues to do that. And, you know, when I, when I do take breaks, it's not like I can't take a break and it's not like I feel that I'm not happy without it, but I do like myself better with it because I do feel like I am slower and without Mm -hmm. it, I am so fast that like, I, I'm not relaxed. I'm not in joy. Yeah. I'm not living totally. I'm always in the future, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. always thinking about the future and never being present. And yeah, that's not living for sure. I think some of us have personalities too. Like I know both me and Cal are this is very similar in that way. Like kind of that type A always looking for what, what do I need to be doing? What did I miss here? And mm-hmm. and that's definitely what Canvas helps me with as well. Yeah, I completely agree. How old are your kids now? Um, just about to turn seven and, seven and 10. Oh, those are my baby's ages. <laughs> oh, nice. So fun, huh? Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, ten year olds wild. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my so, seven year olds wild. Yes, yeah. they're the craziest, right? Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
how are your discussions with them about what cannabis does to help you? Or is that even a conversation right now? No, it hasn't necessarily been much of a conversation, except they know that I do use it as medicine and it helps me. And that's mm-hmm. about as far as we've gotten with it. I, I still think they're probably a little too young for that. Yeah. You know, but I, I do want them to see that it, it's my medicine and it's something that it helps me. You know what I mean? And we don't drink uh, here in my house or anything like that. So it's it's not like we have you know, recreational drugs or alcohol or stuff like that you know, mm-hmm. around. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying we don't. So the stuff that I do have around, you know, I, I want them to think that it's medicine and, and yeah. see yeah, it as such. See it just as and that. understand it that way. Yeah. I mean, yes. it is. So yeah, yeah I'm just curious about that. Yeah. Aaron, you are awesome. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> I am you so thankful too. that you got to come and hang out with us today. I did have a few questions before we wrap up. One of them being you know, if there's veterans out there that, that listen to this and, and they're struggling, like, what is your message to them? I, I think first thing is like, you got to do your, your research. And, and it's so hard when you're in the hole. I mean, I've been there before. I have friends that are there right now. I feel for them and it sucks, but you got to find something. You got to find something that's going to like make you want to get out of the hole. You know, yeah. whether that's like, your family or a camaraderie group of some kind or get on a surfboard and go surf or, or go hiking with some friends or do some art or go hunting or whatever your passion is, like just get out and do something. And, and again, I know it's so hard that when you're in the hole to get yourself out of it, it's like, it's almost impossible, perpetually harder, the more depressed you get and it sucks, but we need other people to help us and maybe not always but we do need camaraderie and no and we need to know that we're loved and so i hope that they can reach out whether it's to me or to their fellow veterans in their community or and then and then find that passion you know we we need we need love and we need passion like there's that's the only reason we're here and if we don't have those two things and then yeah you're going to be in a hole and you're not going to want to be around much longer and it's unfortunate. So hopefully they reach out. People who know that somebody is struggling right now, like what are the best ways to help support veterans? That I, mean, that's such a, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I wish I did. I, mm-hmm. I have friends struggling right now and I don't know how to support them. Some of the strongest people that I know are struggling and I don't know how to help. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just have to want to help. Right. And you have to, you have to try and I don't know what it is, but reach out, make a phone call, spend 20 minutes stopping by. We just need to like take time out of our own schedule and like help those that need it. And it's easier said than done, but it's not, we can, we can all spare a little bit to like reach out to those that we know need it, you know, and I don't know what it is. But, but the more they options they have, the better, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like just let them know that you love them and, and that there's people there for them and that they have options and who knows, try this or don't, or let's go to lunch or I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to figure that out too. Ongoing quest. Well, that's amazing. Well, I am just so thrilled. Like I said, that you stopped by, I want nothing but the best for the Santa Cruz Veterans Alliance. Where can people find you? Where can they get connected with you and all the stuff? Well, right. Obviously, we're here in Santa Cruz. Most of our 
our stuff is, is, uh, you know, we have products throughout California. Unfortunately, we don't have a group meeting right now, which we usually do monthly, but we had to shut it down because of COVID. And right now we're in the process of building a new dispensary. When we have that, I'll have a community center there and we'll, we'll be able to start holding camaraderie groups again, um, mostly for free medical cannabis donations, but also for, for the community and, and figure out how we can continue to be of service together. You know, we're on Instagram and scva.us is our website, s.c.veteransalliance on Instagram, and I'm at aaron.newsom on Instagram. And that's about it. If, if, yeah, if anybody needs anything, they're more than willing, uh, more than welcome to reach out. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.